We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Are you a broken vessel, weighted down with discouragement, illness, or perhaps a disability? Well, take heart. Whatever your burden may be, God offers treasures that will transform your life. Hello, dear listeners. You're listening to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. And here are your hosts, Paul and Tabitha Norris. About a year and a half ago, we had the privilege of interviewing Michael Wilder. On episode 14, Good News, Micah told his story how he and his family were devout Mormons, chained to a works-based religion until the truth of the gospel set them free. The response from all of you, our dear listeners, was overwhelming. We have been thrilled to hear how the Lord increased your courage and gave you opportunities to share your faith in Christ Jesus as a result of listening to Micah's testimony. As many of you know, Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures is based out of central Arizona. Leading Mormons to Jesus continues to be a subject near and dear to our hearts, largely because we have dear family and friends that belong to the LDS Church, and in part because of our location. Research shows that roughly 6% of Arizona's residents claim to be Mormon, putting our state in the top 5% of the Mormon population. So today on the show, we're excited to have a very special guest, Micah's mother. She's an author, former tenured professor at Brigham Young University, and founder of the ministry and website unveilinggrace.com, Dr. Lynn Wilder. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Well, Paul and Tabitha, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Of course, it's our pleasure. Over the years, we hear quite a few positive comments about Mormonism. Statements like, my Mormon neighbors are so hardworking and helpful, the religion can't be that wrong. Or, Mormons say they believe in Jesus, so they must be Christian. What would you say to this? Is Mormonism equal to Christianity? Mormonism is very different than Christianity. In fact, when I joined the Mormon Church 30, 45 years ago, we never called ourselves Christians. We were happy to be Mormons. You were Christians. We were Mormons. The Mormons just started maybe 15 to 20 years ago saying that we're Christians too, and then kind of revising all of their Mormonese language to sound more Christian. Hmm. It's wonderful, really, for Christians because it gives you an opportunity to both study the Bible together and to talk about how your version of Christianity and a Mormon version of Christianity might be the same or it might be different. Certainly, they're wonderful, wonderful people, and they do profess to believe in Jesus. No doubt about that. What drew you into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? I was drawn there, I think, by the love of family that that Mormons teach. You know, your initial small family, not only is the husband and wife and children important to a Mormon, but all of the Mormon culture, all of the people in your Mormon church kind of become your family. 
And they certainly do watch out for each other, give other people jobs. Um, they, they like to live near each other. And um, I was really taken in by that. I had been brought up Presbyterian. I hadn't read the Bible much. I didn't really know what the gospel was. And so when the Mormon missionaries knocked on our door and told us that they were just another Christian option, I just, I had no context for all of that. I assumed that they were kind of like you're saying that Mormons love to say we believe in Jesus. And so Christians say, well, certainly then they must be Christian, right? Right. How did he become persuaded that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? It it really started soon after I joined the Mormon church, that there were a few things about the church that bothered me, a number of teachings that I wasn't sure were Christian. But because I loved the Mormon people and I was having so much fun in my Mormon callings and being a Mormon mom and all of that, I kind of ignored those things. I can tell you what some of those things were. Um, Mormon scripture teaches that polygamy is an eternal principle and will be lived by the faithful in the next life. That was always a challenge for me. And although Certainly, mainstream Mormons do not um, live polygamy. Be it's against the law in the United States of America. They certainly did kind of start polygamy in the United States. And estimates are perhaps as many as 100,000 are still living polygamy, and these would be fundamentalist Mormons um, in the Intermountain West. I know you have some in Arizona, and in Canada and Mexico, there are Mormon kind of polygamy pockets. Um, about a year ago, a family was murdered right across the Mexican border. They were massacred. And certainly in that area, there are some Mormon polygamy colonies, LeBaron being one of them. So polygamy bothered me. Uh, Godhood bothered me. And the Mormon church faithful men are taught that they can earn godhood and then they will event they can eventually have their own world um this is in the next life they also taught that jesus was once simply a man and that he earned his godhood and that god the father was once a man and earned his godhood um certainly Perfectionism was a challenge for me in Mormonism. It's very works-based. Um, the Book of Mormon says if you live the commandments, you'll be blessed both temporally and spiritually. So Mormonism is a bit of what Christians would call a prosperity gospel. If you do all the right things, God is you're going to please God, right? And yeah. then he'll bless you. Um, Mormonism, 
I'm going to use the term necromancy because it's out of the Bible. When we did work for the dead in the Mormon temple, we expected and hoped that our dead relatives who we were doing ordinances for would appear to us and thank us. That was kind of a high thing to happen in Mormonism. Um, That was bothersome for me. So there were a number of things about Mormonism that I ended up putting on a shelf. What happened, though, is I was eventually hired by Brigham Young University after I got my doctorate. And it's owned and operated by the Mormon Church. There are several Brigham Youngs that this was the main campus in Provo, Utah. I was assigned to teach diversity, multiculturalism when I was there. And my very first class, I'm talking about all cultures, bringing something to the table and being equal. And my students began to tell me, no, dark is less than white. I was shocked. I mean, I'd been Mormon quite a while at that point. And um, they told me the Bible said that dark skin was a curse. Mm. <laughs> I laughed. I thought, well, how, what, what a stupid thing for the Bible to say, right? And as a Mormon, I didn't wholly trust the Bible. So I just thought, oh, that stupid Bible, right? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I didn't know it wasn't in the Bible. I didn't even go read the Bible. I didn't even go read. Dark skin is not a curse in the Bible and never has been. But certainly in the Book of Mormon and in the Pearl of Great Price in Mormon scripture, um, dark skin is a curse. It still says that. 26, 27 times in Mormon scripture. That was, for me, pretty much the straw that that almost broke my Mormon back. <laughs> but I'm a little, we're in a pickle, right? I'm right. teaching at BYU, and I know that if I leave the Mormon church, I'm going to lose my job probably immediately and maybe never work again. So, um I had a son, and you referred to Micah's testimony. I hope people will go back and listen to his testimony. Mike and I had three sons, and all of our sons served Mormon missions. And when I, our third son went on his Mormon mission, he got sent to the Bible Belt in Florida. And he was challenged by a Baptist pastor to just read the word and find out what the gospel was. And he began to read the Bible, mostly because he was bumping up against evangelicals and he wanted to have a way to present Mormonism to them that they would accept, of course. But the Bible changed him and his eyes were open to the fact that this was not the same gospel that Jesus himself was teaching in the Bible as what the Mormons had presented to him all of his life. And, of course, we as his parents. Micah ended up going to his knees, giving his life to the Jesus of the Bible while he was on his Mormon mission and getting in a bit of trouble. (laughs) Mike and I were so confused about why our son was in trouble. 
He's professing a God of grace. Okay, so his doctrine's a little confusing, but we thought the Mormon church had always taught us that we had the same Jesus, right? That we had the same God. So why is he in trouble for professing what the God of the Bible says? Um, Why don't you just love him back into Mormonism, right? I didn't have any sense that Mormonism and Christianity were different, right? Or how they were different. All of those things I just mentioned, polygamy and godhood and racism and perfectionism and prosperity gospel, necromancy replacement gospel and discrediting the Bible, none of those things are biblical. Those are only part of Mormon doctrine, right? And to a Christian, actually, these things are fairly serious and do not fit into the uh, gospel of the Bible. Omega was sent home in disgrace from his Mormon mission, and the Mormon church we were back in Utah living at the time, tried to excommunicate him. And Mike and I were so confused about why he was in trouble for professing a God of grace that Mike and I did not take him in front of the high council so that they could judge him. Well, here's the problem in Mormonism. I know this sounds so confusing, right? It sounds so confusing. They say they're Christians too. The Mormon church teaches that you do not have a proper Mormon testimony if you don't have all five points of a Mormon testimony. So you have to believe, first of all, that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, restored the one true and only true church, that the Book of Mormon is God-breathed scripture, that we have a living prophet today. Um, I always forget the fourth. And then the fifth is that Jesus is our Savior. And Micah said after reading the Bible, it made sense to him that it was all about Jesus, that none of those other points of testimony mattered, that only Jesus matters. In mm. fact, he immediately started a ministry um, as a 21-year-old, and uh, their motto is, Jesus is enough, Amen. period. Now, This is a struggle that's been going on since time immemorial, right? Is Jesus enough? And is what he did on the cross enough for salvation? Or is there something we have to do through our own efforts? Let me read you the definition of grace right off of the official Mormon website. It says, divine grace is needed by every soul. However, grace cannot suffice without total effort on the part of the recipient. Hence the explanation, it is by grace, and this is right out of the Book of Mormon, that we are saved after all we can do. Now, let me take you to the Bible because the Bible has the answer for all of this conundrum that was in my head. Mm-hmm. That son turned back to his Mormon family and begged us just read the Bible, 
promise me you'll read the New Testament and find out what the gospel of Jesus really is. And as I began to read, I was just enthralled with this Jesus of the Bible. And it didn't take me very long before I realized he was not teaching the same gospel. But this has been a problem since time immemorial. The book of Galatians in the New Testament was written maybe 19 years after Jesus died. Why? Because Paul was teaching this gospel of grace, except what Jesus has done on the cross, make him your master, give your life to him, and recognize that what he has done for you is enough, right? Mm -hmm. Grace is enough. You don't have to add to that. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do ordinances. You don't have to do X, Y, and Z on top of that. Well, Paul had to write the book of Galatians to the Galatians because people were coming in behind Paul to those churches and saying, no, it's not just grace. It's grace plus works. You have to become a Jew before you can be a Christian. You have to be circumcised. You have to be washed. You have to be, you know, X, Y, and Z list of things to do. This has been a challenge to the true gospel from the beginning of time for the last 2,000 years. And this really is the whole back and forth struggle of the New Testament. Paul coming in preaching the gospel of grace. He was saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast, right? Um, and, And yet, there were always those coming along behind saying, no, you have to do works. Now, as a Mormon, I didn't understand anything about works, and I wouldn't have thought my Mormon gospel was works. But Mormonism has three different heavens, and you earn your way to whichever one you're going to end up in. And if you want to go to the highest heaven, and the highest part of the highest heaven, which is called the celestial kingdom, you need to be married to a worthy Mormon. You need to be sealed in a Mormon temple. You need to go through all of the ordinances that Mormonism requires. Um, and then you need to do good works till the end of your life. You asked me in the beginning, you know, my Mormon neighbors are so wonderful. They are wonderful people, but their religion teaches them these works that they're doing are actually needed so that they might earn exaltation, so that they might be able to live with God the Father in the next life and with their families and have their own worlds. This is not the gospel of the New Testament. And once my son challenged me to read the Bible, I began to read it. The Holy Spirit just rocked my world. And I went just like Micah 
10 months after I'd been reading the New Testament, I went face down and gave my life to the Jesus of the New Testament. And um, everything changed. Everything changed. And people often ask me, so are there born-again saved people in Mormonism? And Micah's answer typically to that is, certainly there are, but if they're saved by grace, by the God of the Bible, then they're headed out of Mormonism because works is not a part of salvation. Yes, right. And it's not that works aren't important or that you don't see works from Christians, but it's very different than Mormonism. You don't do the works to earn God's favor or to earn a temple recommend or to earn your way to the celestial kingdom. These are works that the Holy Spirit does through you after you become born again and become a child of God. So a personal example of that is about five years after I got saved, we did end up leaving Brigham Young, and I came to a university in Florida. We moved to Florida. I woke up one morning, and God, I felt like God was asking me to write and I, like Sarah of the Old Testament, I laughed, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I said, Lord, certainly you do not want any of this to be public. Could be where your professor and her missionary son, right, leaving the Mormon church and finding the Jesus of the Bible. And yet God started pouring, pouring, pouring this book into me. And um, I don't even know if it's possible for a 400, almost 400-page book to be written in four months. And yet it was literally a download of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because many Mormons are questioning their faith, and they need to know what what the options are out there. Um And many of them are curious about how Christianity and Mormonism might be different. And the book that I wrote certainly helps people understand that. It's called Unveiling Grace. We've read your book, Unveiling Grace. I think um, whether our listeners are part of the Mormon church or just desiring to understand Mormonism better, it's it's certainly a book we'd highly recommend. It wasn't at all anti-Mormon. In fact, just the opposite. Your love for the Mormon people was evident on every single page and certainly elevated our love and burden for them. Would you offer us a few pointers on how to present the gospel in love to our LDS friends and family? We probably don't have time to get into specifics in this podcast, but but I would say this to a Christian, if you have a Mormon friend or a Mormon neighbor or a Mormon co-worker, Mormons tend to be hyper-emotional, and they believe that the Holy Ghost works through feelings, right? The way that they tell whether something's true is how it makes them feel. 
I often say to Christians, so when's the last time you bore a testimony of Christ that brought you to tears, let alone something that would bring someone else to tears, right? I think Christians are not always good at being articulate about who Jesus is in your life and what he's done and how he's freed you and um, what kind of things he's done in you and through you and how profoundly that has affected your life. We tend to make those things private instead of public. And yet, what if we just sprinkled our conversation with those kind of things? Um, Why not ask a Mormon, do you mind if I ask you a question about faith? Would you like to hear my testimony of Jesus? Certainly Mormons would say yes to that. Often they will. Um, The other thing I would say because of the perfectionism in Mormon culture and you need to have everything look perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, that's a sign that God is pleased with you. I think that Christians can be an authentic and loving and safe place for Mormons to come when they have troubles or trials, or questions, or issues, um, why not be a loving place for a Mormon to come away from the Mormon culture so that they can trust you not to gossip, um, but to be a safe place for them to know what God might have to say about what they're struggling with. I think that's uh, something we can certainly do. The Bible says the one characteristic of a Christian is that they will know us by our love. Yes, definitely. And certainly the good works and the kind things that Mormons do draw people to them, right? If you have the gospel of truth from the New Testament, certainly we should be so full of the love of Christ that it just flows through us. Um, Another thing about witnessing, in this day and age, because Mormons have been taught that they're Christians too, why not open your neighborhood to a Bible study and invite the Mormons? This is happening several places. In fact, when I was in the Gilbert, Arizona area a couple of a year and a half ago, there's a a wonderful pastor's wife who had opened her neighborhood to a women's Bible study in her home. And she had at least one Mormon that was attending often there in the word, then they're hearing it. And after a while, it kind of dawns on them that this is not the same gospel. And that it gives them an opportunity to hear Christians' testimonies and to become aware of what the Bible says. And once you, you know, as a Mormon, you realize these are different Gospels and you come to fully understand why and how, then you have a choice to make, right? Mm-hmm. And um, many Mormons are leaving at the moment. And so I think it's a wonderful time for Christians to open their mouths 
and to tell how wonderful their God is and to articulate who they were before they knew Jesus and who they are now and how things have changed and how he can bring peace and how he brings forgiveness and mercy and give some some wonderful examples of that. Thank you, Lynn, for taking the time to explain the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. One thing our listeners may not know about you is that in addition to being a writer, you have a doctorate in education and quite an impressive resume. You've taught special education students in public schools and supervised university students who work with parents of children with challenging behaviors. Many of our podcast audience have been impacted by special needs. How does the LDS Church address topics like trials and disability? Trials and disabilities are two very different topics in Mormonism. Let me address disabilities first. Um, Mormons believe that those who come to earth who who never reach the mental age of eight, according to a Mormon, the mental age of eight is the age of accountability where you're responsible for your own sins. So they believe children, you know, don't really sin or they're not accountable to their sins until age eight after they get baptized. But if you have a disability in Mormonism, um, and if you never reached that age of eight mentally in accountability, then your purpose was to come to earth and test those around you. So you're testing their faith, you're testing their kindness, you're testing their character, and then after the life, you'll go to live with God. And what's really interesting about that is typically in Mormonism, there is no assurance of salvation. You know, um, Christians certainly believe there's a point where they give up their lives to Jesus and then his spirit enters you and you are saved and it's a done deal. Mormons uh, believe actually a lot like Islam that you're going to do good works till the end of your life. And then if it's enough, God's grace will kick in and save you, but you never know in this life. So who has assurance of salvation in Mormonism? Folks with disabilities do who don't reach the age of eight of accountability. Um, so that that's how. So it's kind of a special thing, almost like they're little angels, you know. Um, that that would be a positive thing. Now, as far as the trials and tribulations, I laughed when I read the New Testament. It says right. Um, Jesus says, when I lived in you, they hated me. They're going to hate you. You know, you're going to have trials. You're going to have persecutions. It's all good. I'm working. I'm working it for good. You know, I laughed at that because that's very opposite what Mormonism teaches. Like I said before, it's a prosperity gospel that if you live the commandments, then it's almost like God is obligated then to bless you both temporally and spiritually. So literally, I thought I would have a good job. I would never get cancer. My kids would all do the right things, you know, if I could just figure out how to keep the sin at bay. Very different gospel. 
Well, since you became a believer, is there hope you found in the Jesus of the Bible that you didn't find in Jesus of Mormonism? Oh, I love that question. Well, first of all, you're assuming that they're not the same Jesus. Right. So I probably should pull out a couple of scriptures. First, I'm going to go to Romans 10. This was my lot as Mormon, I believe. Paul's talking about the Jews, and he says, I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I believe as a Mormon, I had a zeal for God, but I didn't know what God really taught, certainly not the God of the Bible, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness. The Jews were trying to establish their own righteousness, that God might be pleased with them, that he might save them. Exactly what Mormons are doing, trying to establish their own righteousness, perfectionism, that God might be pleased with them, that he might save them. Now I'm going to go to, let me find, I have another passage I'd like to look at. This is, this is hard. This one's really hard. This was hard for me when I read it. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Now, wait a minute. I'm reading that going, wait, another Jesus? There's a there's a Jesus other than Jesus? How, how is that possible? And he brings a different spirit according to this. If you don't have the right Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And, if you, and, and this other Jesus is going to teach another gospel. Well, I think as I was reading the New Testament as a Mormon, and it dawned on me these weren't the same gospels, then logically, eventually, I came to the point where, wow, this can't be the same Jesus. Why would the Jesus of Mormonism and the Jesus of the Christians teach different ways to eternal life? How can Jesus be confused about that? Or are there really two ways? I mean, this is difficult. Farther down in that passage, then, he literally says the people who are teaching these things are false apostles, deceitful workmen. I mean, these are tough scriptures. Basically, what the whole New Testament says is you are saved by grace, not by works. And anyone who teaches you anything else or adds to this, that would be a false gospel, it would be a different gospel. And so that would have to be a different Jesus teaching that different gospel. Very hard for me to accept. Took me a long time. I always believed I knew Jesus. But certainly when I read the New Testament, a, a bigger Jesus um, came to light. My favorite chapter in the book, Unveiling Grace, is called Biggie Size Your God. Mm -hmm. 
when I read about the God of the Bible, I laughed at what he was capable of doing. He was so much bigger than the gods of Mormonism I knew who'd once been men, who now had physical bodies, even as gods, which confined them to space and time so they couldn't be omnipresent. I mean, very different from the God of the Bible. Right. Speaking of Jesus, is there an attribute of Jesus that you've learned to treasure over the years of walking with the Lord? Absolutely, Paul. The Jesus of the Bible that I met in the New Testament is real. He showed up for me, and not just now and then. Once I gave my life to him, there was a continual presence. I was continually thinking of him, continually talking to him. When here's how it was different. When I was Mormon, I kind of categorized Jesus. Um, I only thought about it maybe when I was reading the Book of Mormon or I was doing my church calling or I was at church. It wasn't an all consuming thing for me. Um, I certainly compartmentalized Jesus, I would say. When I gave my life to the Jesus of the Bible, he was so real. He started answering questions I had through the word, through other people, through prayer. He started showing up and freaking me out. I did not know that God was personal. Hmm. The God of the Mormons... um, They don't talk about him as being personal. He works through the church organization, right? He speaks to the prophet at the top. So then the prophet tells the regional, the 12 apostles and the regional rep, you know, what God's will would be. And then they tell the bishops and then the bishops tell the people. And if you have any question or any sin or any problem, you have to run to your priesthood authority. And then they make the decision for you. Um, What I learned in the Bible is when Jesus died on the cross, he rent, God tore the six-inch veil (laughs) into the Holy of Holies that because of Jesus, man might now have direct access to the Father. I can pray directly to the Father, and there's only one mediator between me and that God. And it says in Second Peter, I believe it is, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only mediator between man and God. When you start putting ordinances and authorities and adding um things that aren't in the Bible as requirements to reach God, then you've got a serious problem because this God is personal, he's real, he's alive, and um, he has a purpose for your life. Praise the Lord. Well, Lynn, what we've appreciated in both reading your book and just soaking in your testimony is your consistent message of grace and love for people, and even more so, your tremendous love for Christ Jesus. We're really grateful for the ways God is using you and your family 
thank you so much for being a part of our podcast today and for being willing instruments for our Savior. I I do not think that God makes mistakes. And so we met each other for a purpose a year and a half ago. And I thank God that you're doing what you're doing. Um, and I pray that others may just investigate him just get into the word um like you have no preconceived notions and see what jesus can do with your life thanks for tuning in today to broken vessels hidden treasures it is our hope and prayer that you will find the grace and goodness of god even in trials we'd love to hear from you and your feedback is important to us You can reach out to Paul and Tabitha with comments, questions, or to share an episode with a friend in need through our website at bvhtministries.org.